And so what they end up doing in that court is actually flip it around. And Peter's like, actually, you guys are the ones who are on trial. You guys are the ones who are in danger of judgment because of who you have crucified. Well, you guys tell me, should I obey God or should I obey you? Mm-hmm. You know, now this whole attitude that Peter has, that John has, that's the way that we should carry ourselves. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Today, I have the benefit and the privilege of hanging out with my friend, Pastor Brian Clark. Uh, Brian is one of our instructors here at the Bible Institute. He teaches the Hebrews class, but he also teaches a class on evangelism. And today we're going to have a conversation about evangelism and his, uh, his forthcoming book, but also just talk about missions and church planting and that business, which is all business that he's into and interested in and, and involved with. So with that, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. <laughs> it's so good to be here. <laughs> oh, man. Is I've been, it? I've been, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, because, you know, we've been like packing up our house and trying to... Yeah to move over here for, you know, we're going to be here for the next 18 months. So we've been, you know, we had to like sell everything, get rid of everything, or the little bit that we kept fit into like 60 square feet of uh, storage facility. Our whole life for the last Jeez. 20 years is in 60 square feet. And, um, and the whole time, you know, I, I'm just, I'm looking forward to this moment. Me too. First of all, cause I love you and I love spending time with you. I'm also really excited about this season that you're going to be in because we get to benefit from your presence. And so I, I want to share with the listeners what you're doing in the States and, and, and make sense of everything we just talked about, give them insight into what's going on. Uh, t- tell our listeners, a lot of people that are listening, uh, maybe haven't heard our other episodes together. Uh, tell us uh, who is Brian Clark <laughs> <laughs> and oh, what, man, and that's... what, and what he's been up to the last 20 years. Okay. Man. So what, what, what have you been doing in London and, and tell our listeners a little bit about your ministry and, and family, and then we'll talk about the furlough and, and how you're here. Okay. Well, can I ask you first, yeah. say, do a little shout out to the church in London because they watch your show. Oh, wow. They, they love your show. Yeah, please do. I mean, say whatever you need no, to say. No, I mean, you. They, oh, you they, want me they, to They say? watch to see you. They don't watch to see me. That's not true. No, it is true. Yeah, they watch. What, what do you want me to say? Yeah, just say hello to Crossroads in London or oh, I, well, I don't know. I can't. Well, know. okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, so I've, I've known Brian for probably 25 years now. Uh, I remember when you went to London. I remember I had just come into the ministry that you were involved with at the time. And oh, I was kind of there. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of, uh, just coming into checkpoint as you were leaving. I remember that. And, um, for a long time I've, I've been burdened for the work in London. It's been on our heart. It's, it's been a consistent prayer that God would bless that work for 25 years. Mm. And so to me hearing and knowing that the work is healthy uh, that there are people there that are growing in the Lord, yeah. um, following Christ, uh, desire to do the work of the mission is an incredible blessing. And so it, when I say uh, I love Crossroads, um, I'm, I mean it in the most serious way and, and 
uh, I do, I do care for the people that I've never even met. You know, a lot of them I've, I've never met or even engaged with, but, but we do love you and the churches and the fellowship, uh, that stand by your side, that they, they care for you greatly. And, and we we're expecting that God's going to use you mightily. So shout out to Crossroads. That's awesome. I mean, all this energy I have can quickly turn into tears. Okay. So yeah, please yeah. try to no one, uh, refrain. It's been a while since we've, I've cried on the show. So let's just not, let's just avoid <laughs> we'll that to, if possible. But they do, they do watch the show. They do well, like the God. show. Yeah. yeah and uh, and we, uh, we have been living in London for the last, we started there in 2000. So, uh, but we had like a two year period where we came back and raised money to mm-hmm. go there permanently. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's about 21 years, I guess. In in total that we've been living there, and uh, we planted a church. And uh, Paul Waller and his wife Emma, he's the pastor of the church. I trained him, and so he took that over. And um, uh, we could not be—I mean, we could not be happier. Mm. Um, because I mean, it, it was it was rough. You know, it was rough going trying to get this church started. I mean, I think we started it like three times, mm. and um, it was uh, it was really tough. But God took us there really for Paul. Mm-hmm. And his wife Emma. Uh, Emma is like the icing on the cake because Paul was like uh, the most perfect guy that you know. He was just a godsend, total mm-hmm. answer to prayer. And uh, and then his wife Emma, uh, oh, she's just a peach. <laughs> she's just a fantastic lady. And um, and so she was, to, you know, to have a great wife that is godly, who just is focused on the mission, wants to serve. Uh, you know, kind of whatever kind of person, mm-hmm. you know, uh, man, you could not ask for anybody better. And uh, so the fact that they're pastoring the church and they, I mean, it got to the point we transitioned really slow when we trained them and moved them into that position. I did that on purpose because I just didn't want there to be any kind of upset to the church mm-hmm. and um, or upset to Paul and Emma's life. Sure. And so we transitioned really slow. And uh, so like by the end, like, uh, I mean, they didn't even, they didn't need me at all anymore. And I thought, man, maybe I've done this a little too good. Because by the end, I'm like, yeah, I'm leaving. And they're like, all right, you know, <laughs> catch you later. No, they weren't exactly like that. But I'm just saying, uh, you know, by the end of it, I really yeah. worked myself out of a job. Perfect. And so Paul was, you know, over everything. And uh, literally at the end, the only thing I did was like I, I worked some of the slides on Sunday, you know, pressing the button for the slides. Yeah, I mean, I back to the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I had nothing to do, and wow. uh, in the church, that mm-hmm. is. And um, so it was just a, it was a real uh, joyous moment for me. Well, we're uh, we're excited about it, and and what it, it means for your future work as well. So oh, yeah. let's let's maybe just talk about you're on what we call furlough, which yeah. is um, is kind of an interesting term, maybe. In, yeah. in your words, explain what that means and why it's important to to stage your life for the next thing to come. Yeah. Um, it's I think a, that'd, that'd be helpful for our listeners. It's kind of a misleading term. Yeah. You know, because, you know, furlough is something that like soldiers would take, I guess, to go and rest and recover. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people in the... in. Other work, uh, other careers would take like sabbaticals or something right. like that, yeah. and uh, so it implies rest. But it's actually, an inc- I mean, it's going to be an incredible amount of work, and we're going to travel to the four corners of the United States and uh, visiting churches. And the reason why we're doing that is because uh, the last twenty years that we've been working toward Crossroads becoming a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's been people behind us praying for us, supporting us, uh, coming over to visit, sending teams and all this kind of stuff. And so faithfully that I feel personally like they deserve for, for me to be able to stand there face to face and say thank you. Yeah. And that's really what I want to do. I want to go and I want to look at them and, and tell them how much we appreciate them yeah. and to tell them that it's done. Like you sent us over there to start a church, uh, to plant a local indigenous church that is self-supporting, uh, self-governing, self-propagating. And Discipleship oriented, yeah. missions oriented. Yeah. Expository preaching, yep. Yep. soul winning, and it's done. And so now there's a church there where there wasn't one before. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I want to tell everybody, thank you so much for sticking with us. Right. And uh, you so, referred to it as your celebration tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It is. Because we do want to, <laughs> we do want to celebrate yeah. with each of these churches what God has done. And I kind of take that from what Paul did. You know, whenever he finished up with his journey and it says he came back to Antioch and he rehearsed all the things that the Lord had done. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I want to do. I want to rehearse with everybody what the Lord's done and to celebrate with them. Mm -hmm. And um, because it's it's remarkable. I mean, the fact that it actually finally was accomplished. uh, I mean, we have no idea what the future holds, but the fact that it was accomplished is just a miracle. Yeah. And um, and it's only because of the people who supported mm-hmm. us and prayed for us. And um, I can't wait to, I mean, I'm going to be hugging a lot of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot of high fives, a lot of hugs. And people who you probably don't see that often, but right. have been so- supporting you behind the scene, scenes and, and you've been giving updates yeah. too. And they haven't seen you for a while, but they've committed and invested a lot Yeah, uh, just to, to, to see this happen. And, and you get to give an account and say, hey, look, yeah. look at what God's done. How awesome is he? Right. I just, you know, I want to show them that their prayers were not in vain. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we're just so happy that the first one is is done. And and, and in a way, for Crossroads, this is just the beginning Mm -hmm. uh, for them. But now after we come back and we get to celebrate with everybody with the Lord's done, and then we're going to go back, we're going to be here for 18 months. And it's going to take us about that long Mm -hmm. uh, to accomplish the, the tour. And, um, and then after that, we're going to go back and we're going to uh, start the second one. Yeah. So explain that vision a little bit. Uh, like, right. this, is, this was always the idea. Oh, yeah. Was that it would be multiple church plants. Um, yeah. And so explain to us the vision that you'll be casting, because you'll be celebrating, but at the same time, you'll be saying, don't, don't, don't stop supporting. Uh, we need more support than ever, because we're, we're doing this over again. We're hitting replay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, please don't stop. We're going to go back and we're going to uh, do it again. Mm -hmm. And we had a 2020 vision, which was the vision for Crossroads. Mm -hmm. And uh, that got postponed a little bit when the whole world shut down with COVID. Uh, But now God has given us a 2030 vision. And uh, so we think this year and a half that we'll spend on the celebration tour uh, going around uh, telling everyone what the Lord has done, also raising more support. Uh, because we haven't actually really raised our support level uh, for the last 20 years. Yeah. Cost of living has gone way up. Right. And uh, so we have to raise a little bit more support. But So we're going to do that for the next year and a half. And then when we get over there, it'll take a little bit. We're going to go back to Crossroads because we want Crossroads to be involved in this next mm-hmm. church plant. Yeah, they'll be sending you out. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we want them to be like involved, like with seeing it come to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Paul... 
will probably work together for the rest of our lives. Yeah. You know, uh, I see him, he's like my son in the Lord and we'll probably be working together forever. Yeah. Uh, if, if I have my way, I mean, whatever the Lord wants, mm-hmm. but, um, so we'll go back there, we'll reestablish ourselves with them and then we'll get sent out to start another church. And so we're on a five year plan to get the next church, uh, done. Okay. That's no, that's a big prayer. Yeah. And we really need everyone to pray for three things. One is that we raise the necessary support we need. Uh, number two, that God provides us with a building when we get there and that God provides us with a man. Mm-hmm. Now, these are some of the important lessons we've learned over the last 15, 16 years is that uh, if we can have a man like Paul that mm-hmm. was just called. Yeah, a key man. Wasn't any, I mean, with him, it was like I never talked him into going to the ministry. I mean, he came into our church. I started discipling him uh, like I've discipled other guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's the one that came to me and was like, I think God's calling me into the ministry. Mm-hmm. And I tried to talk him out of it, you know, because I was like, just like the guys always told me, sure. if, if you can do something else, yeah. do that. Right. And um, because I was always taught, if you can talk someone out of it, then... They're not called. Right. Yeah. Right? And uh, so I did that. I really mm-hmm. tried to talk him out of it. And he uh, was convinced the Lord was calling him. I never tried to talk him into being in the ministry or nothing. And um, and he was called by God to, to do that. And that's really what you need. Mm-hmm. You need someone that has a call on their life that is completely separate from me. Uh, they just feel like this is what God wants them to do. And... Um, if you have that, then they can survive just about anything. And so we need another man like that. And if you have a man like that and you have a place to meet, uh, then the infrastructure that we have created over the last 15 years, that's still in place. Mm-hmm. We can put that in place. And then the rest of it is really degrees of growth. Mm-hmm. So we really need a place to meet and we need a man that I can train. And if we have that, then I'm convinced that we could get another church up and running in five years. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would love to see happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, that could change. Sure. I mean, but why not pray for it? But yes, yeah, but pray for yeah. those three things. God's, 20, 30 vision. God's done more with less, right? So absolutely. Um, man, that's wait. cool. I can't wait to get back and get started. Right. To be honest, right. I mean, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this tour. This is going to be so much fun. But um, I can't wait to get back and actually get that rolling. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the great. work of the ministry is fun, isn't it? It is fun. It's it's incredibly challenging and difficult, but it, yeah. it's it's fun. Um, you help us in the in the Bible school. That's one of the things that you do, and we're really thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're offering the Hebrews class this summer. Um, s- students always say great things. In fact, probably the, one of the most popular classes we offer in the school is the evangelism class cool. that, that you teach. Um, and and so, you know, evangelism has become you know, uh, a really important thing that you've learned about over the years. Um, and it's, it's evolved and changed because you've, you've kind of gone through all of the, the different methodologies and you've, you've tried many different things over time, but you've learned, you've, you've gleaned a lot of really important truths about what it means to share the gospel with people in your time in London. Yeah. And you, and you share that with us in the class. I mean, I think yeah. it's really beneficial for people to hear. So that's one of the, the, the things that we want people to get is that eight week course on evangelism. But you've also been in the process of writing a book for quite some time. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about the book 
yeah. that uh, that's hopefully going to come out soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what we're uh, that's what we're praying we're, for. We're working on it. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. The that was the thing that uh, as soon as I hit the ground in London, uh, that became uh, so apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, was that uh, if, if anything was going to happen, uh, I, I was going to have to go because it was just me and my wife you know, in our house that so mm-hmm. we started in our living room. And, um, so if anything was going to happen, I was going to have to go out. I was going to have to lead someone to Christ. Yeah. Uh, cause there, there was nothing. I mean, when you're a church planter, you know, in, <clears throat> in like a forward area like that, you're like, you're creating something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. So there is nothing, there's no infrastructure, there's no ministry to show up for. There's, there's no praise team. Right. I mean, there's no building. And so, you know, it's just you and your wife hanging out, having coffee. Right. And uh, you have to go and create something. Mm-hmm. And the only way that that happens is if you lead someone to Christ. I had a young man came to me in in London, and he was getting ready to plant churches, and he was asking for advice. And um, he was getting ready to take over a church that was struggling, and he was going to turn that into something. And and I told him, I said, that's great. You know, that's a, that's a great way to do it. I think you should do that and uh, go for it. I was all for him, behind mm-hmm. him. I said, you just have to remember that, you know, when you go in, you put the fresh coat of paint on, you get the praise team going, and you put up the website, and everybody's got the T-shirts, and, the, and we've got our t-shirts now and all that stuff. Yeah. And so everyone's got the t-shirt and you, you know, you've got your three-part series that you're getting ready to put out. When all of that is done, just remember that you haven't actually accomplished anything yet, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and he looked at me strange, like, because there was a little bit of, there was a few people that were still left in the church. So he's got a little bit of a crowd and he's doing this. And so it's easy to think that, you know, cause you're having church and and I, but the only way that we ever really move the needle, the only that's the only way that we ever gain any ground, is if we win someone who is lost to Christ. Yeah. Right. Because right. uh, otherwise, all we're doing is really just moving people around. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and you go to any big city and you see that every every church gets their turn to be the big church mm-hmm. in a particular area. Mm-hmm. And you take turns and people move yeah, around. Yeah, that's true everywhere. Yeah. And I suppose everywhere in the world yeah. where, where churches exist. It, it, it happens. And and I'm not even necessarily against it or for it. It's just, it's a natural thing. Right. It happens. Uh, but that's irrelevant. It's not the game plan. No, it's not. We, you, we just have to stay focused because we can be fooled when it's our turn, you know, to get the influx of people. We can be fooled that we're doing something. But yeah. if we're not winning lost people to Christ... Then what are we doing? Right. So uh, that was uh, very obvious to me as soon as we were there. And I was like, man, how am I going to do that? And um, and I, I did not know at the time, but God was getting ready to take me through a lot of, a lot of stuff that he was going to teach me some hard lessons. And that's mm-hmm. really how this book was written. Uh, it was over many years of many difficult lessons that I learned. Um, that shaped me, and that was always God's plan. He was going to turn me into a soul winner, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what I am now, but because of Him, yeah. And He has turned me into a soul winner, and which is true to Matthew four nineteen. That's 
That is what he wants all of us to be. If you're following Jesus, then you are going to be a fisher of men. We have a little saying in our church that if you're not fishing, then you're not following. Mm-hmm. Because if you're following Christ, then that is what he will turn you into. Right. Yeah. So um, through all of those hard lessons that we learned, and uh, they were hard, but man, uh, experience is a brutal teacher, mm-hmm. but you really do learn. Yeah. And uh, so... Uh, we learned those lessons, but they were just some of the best lessons that I could have learned. And so I, I tried to get them down on paper because through the years, we've developed a, a process where we can take anybody, it doesn't matter your uh, experience or your Bible knowledge, and we can show them and enable them uh, to be a soul winner. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really want for each and every believer. I want, I mean, if you can only imagine if each believer was equipped to be a soul winner. Yeah, yeah. And I think for a lot of our churches and our fellowship, a lot of the people listening are coming from a heritage of discipleship. And uh, discipleship is a critical component to, oh, yeah. to, to their ministry. Um, but, but we often forget, we, we, you know, there's like a, a lot, in a lot of our churches, we have a long list of potential disciplers. Mm-hmm. The shorter list is a list of new disciples. It's a short list. Well, the reason it's short is because we're not producing evangelists. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the four goals that we often say of discipleship is that is that the person would be integrated into ministry, that they would be established in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people interpret that as uh, working in children's ministry or opening doors, being hospitable. But the truth is the work of the ministry, as Christ taught it, mm-hmm. uh, was primarily the work of evangelism. It was the work of a fisherman. Absolutely. I I think that, I think discipleship as a primary uh, should be creating fishers of men. It should be creating soul winners. Mm -hmm. Um, And it should be, I mean, if we think of in the broad sense, it should be creating disciple makers. That's what discipleship should be. It's it's an apprenticeship in disciple making. Yeah. But of course, disciple making always has to begin with soul winning. Right. And, and it's not to say that they shouldn't be in the, the kids' ministry or uh, putting out chairs For or sure. ma- making coffee. For sure, the work of edification yeah. belongs to all of us. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the work of the ministry can include and should include serving the body and all that. But we, you're right. We have to keep at the forefront that we need to be uh, soul winners. Mm-hmm. And that's what, when you make a disciple who is a disciple maker— they should know automatically that that has to include me winning someone to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and maybe, you know, you're not going to have a lot of uh, what you might call uh, results in that. But mm-hmm. you should be always out there fishing, you know. Right. And and so it, the book is called, or will, will be called, mm-hmm. Just Ask. Can you, can you explain the title to us a little bit um, and, and, and tell us what that ASK is an acronym? What does that stand for? Uh, yeah, the acronym is, well, it's kind of two things. The, the title is Just Ask is two things. One, it's a reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things that we learned is that there is a huge misconception when it comes to being a soul winner. There is a huge misconception out there that really fights against us as fishers of men. And that is, we tend to think that nobody's interested. Right. Um, we, when you know, look on Instagram or the media and stuff like that, it kind of seems that there's a real antagonism against God and Christianity. And that's true. There yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but it's cultural. It, yeah. In the large scale, there certainly is. I mean, obviously, 
you know, Christ said, you know, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. Mm -hmm. And there is an antagonism Mm -hmm. that is real. But when you deal with individuals, you know, one-on-one, you find something very different. There, there are a lot of people out there who, who really want to know. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are interested. And so as Christians, we tend to carry ourselves uh, like the guy, like the nerd in high school who's trying to ask out the good looking girl. Mm-hmm. And we're just we're, Gee whiz. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, we're, we're witnessing like, you know, I know there's no way in the world you would ever be interested in this, but if you could please just, you know, think that I'm cool and I, right. I, I really hope that you would take this on board. It's like, you know, we just assume that no one out there is interested. Yeah. And the, the opposite is true. There are a lot of people out there who really want to know, uh, uh, give you a good story or illustration to that point. Uh, there was a lady by the name, and I talk about this in the book, but there's a lady by the name of Marina. And uh, she was from Russia, and she had moved over to London for work. Mm-hmm. And she had grown up in the Russian Orthodox Church, really disillusioned by all of that religion yeah, and stuff. for sure. And uh, so she came over to London and she was living in London for a couple of years and she really wanted to know like how she could be right with God. And so she would ask her coworkers, nobody wanted to talk to her about it. She would talk to her friends, nobody wanted to talk to her about it. She's just walking down the Bromley High Street one day and she runs into our team with our uh, red t-shirts on that says no religion, just Jesus on it. And they're talking to her and they're, and they ask her, as we typically do, does this sound like something you would like to discuss further? And she's like, yes. Mm-hmm. And so they hooked her up with my wife and they had coffee and my wife takes her to first Timothy and starts showing her how that, uh, she doesn't need a priest mm-hmm. to be right with God, that there's no mediator between God and man except Christ Jesus who gave himself for us. And, uh, and Marina just, she just starts crying at the table. And she's like, you know, all this time, I just wanted someone to tell me the truth about how I could be right with God. And nobody would talk about it with me. Mm. And uh, so she got saved and we baptized her a couple of weeks later. And uh, she's still serving the Lord to this day and uh, still lives in London. She lives a little far away from us now um, because of her work, but she's still serving the Lord and we love her to death. Mm. And uh, But my my question to everyone is uh, how long are the marinas of the world going to have to wait right. before we'll just ask them? It's a, it's a reminder to us that there are people outside right now who will sit down and will listen to the gospel if you'll just ask them. Mm-hmm. If you just ask, would you like to talk about it? Um, and so it's a reminder. Yeah. Uh, but it's also uh, the ac- it's an acronym. Mm-hmm. And this is, these are like the guideposts that help us uh, to navigate any conversation. And so it always starts with asking permission, and then you share the gospel, and then you try to keep the conversation going. Right. And so it's not a script. It's not like a technique. No, it's just anything. a philosophy yeah. that's biblical. It, yeah, biblical. it is. And it's, in fact, the way that you soul win right now, the way that you maybe present it, you can just drop that right in. You don't have to really change any of that. These are really guideposts that will help you to navigate any conversation you find yourself in. Because the way to start that conversation, I believe, is to just ask, mm-hmm. is to ask someone instead of beating around the bush, instead of trying to build a bridge over the next three years that you're never going to cross, right. you know, uh, the best way to be bold without burning the bridge 
is to just ask them. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I'll ask people all the time. I say, hey, Jim or whatever. And uh, would you like to grab a cup of coffee with me sometime? I would love to open up the Bible and show you what it means to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to do that? Yeah. And, um, and he's like, uh, no, <laughs> I would not like to do that, Brian. I'm like, well, that's cool, man. Right. I mean, I'm a jerk if I don't ask, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I'll still be friends with Jim and we'll still hang out. Uh, but then I'll just go ask someone else. Right. Now, whenever you ask someone that question, now I think personally that's the most polite way to be bold. Mm-hmm. is to simply ask their permission. Yes. Now, when you do ask somebody, and that's not easy to ask somebody, but if you can manage to ask somebody, uh, three magical things happen when you do that. Number one is you find out where they stand. Mm. See, I know Jim's not interested, right? So I'm not going to build the next three. I'm not going to spend the next three years building a bridge to Jim because Jim's not interested. And trust me from someone, and many people can attest to this, it is heartbreaking to build that bridge for a year and then find out that Jim's not interested. Mm-hmm. That That is tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know where Jim stands, but whenever I ask, he also knows where I stand. So if things go sideways in Jim's life, right. guess who he's going to come yeah, to? He already, he already knows where the truth exists, and he can come back to you. And he knows yeah. that your faith is, is for real. And man, yeah. in a world where there is so much fake faith out there, mm-hmm. it, is, it is a huge testimony when they do rub up against something that's real. Yes. Uh, so those are two things. Now, the third thing and the most important thing that happens is you've been obedient. Mm. And yeah, this, you, you've won. Regardless you, of the outcome, you've already won. You've, you've already won. Yeah. And, uh, and that was one of the biggest lessons uh, that we learned was that our measure for success is obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no control over the results. Um, all we can do is just be obedient to try to go out there and just make the attempt. That's all you have to do yeah. is just make the attempt. And if you get shot down, that's okay. Because th- here's another huge lesson we learned with this is that soul winning is always a win-win proposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I go out there and I'm sharing the gospel with someone and they're like, uh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll sit down with you. And I'll have some coffee and we'll sit down and share the gospel with them. I'm like, that's awesome. I mean, that's amazing. Mm. And I love that. And we get to do that. And then I get to build a relationship on that, which, by the way, I think that's the way a relationship should be built. It should be built on the foundation of the gospel, yeah. not be built toward the gospel. Meaningful relational terms set up front. Yeah, man. Be yeah. honest with who you are. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more freeing, by the way. Mm-hmm. But you, you do that, and that's a huge win, right? And, of course, I get crowns in heaven because, you know, it's, it's wonderful results. And, and so that's great. We all know that, especially right. if they get saved. or There's a whole, you know, long list of what we might call results. But uh, if any results were like, man, that's great, and I get rewards in heaven. And so everyone is aware of that. But also, if I go out and I'm sharing the gospel and I get shot down, and it reminds me of the very first time I ever tried to do this, uh, an Orthodox Jew gave me the finger, right? <laughs> and I'm telling you, you, that feel? you have not lived until an Orthodox, I'm talking with the hat and the squiggles, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. you have not lived until an Orthodox Jew gives you the finger. Man. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, the, uh, something similar would be like if a nun. Yes. 
that would maybe that, that might, would maybe top it. That might top it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was wonderful yeah. because like even if you get the finger or God forbid, you know, your friend doesn't really like you anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever happens. I mean, worst case scenario, uh, it gets violent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really rare. Have you ever been punched? Uh, sharing the gospel. Well, I, I don't. I don't like to talk about those things too much <laughs> because there's been a few times where you know my life was threatened. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I've had people say things that they wanted to do to me that uh, I can't repeat. <laughs> um, and uh, just you know. Lovely guys, yeah, uh, just lovely individuals, and it really made my day. But uh, th- you know, it happens, right? Uh, but it's very rare. But even in worst case scenario like that, um, the Bible tells us in Matthew five and Luke six that if you're persecuted for the gospel's sake, uh, then you should be happy. Yeah, big surprise, right? Happy are you, right? Right. You should have, take great joy and rejoice because why? Great are your rewards in heaven. Yeah. So I get if if they accept I get rewards, if they reject if they beat me to dust I get rewards <laughs> win win or if they just don't like me anymore yeah, yeah. I, I get rewards now here is the for me was the eye opening truth uh, the only way when it comes to soul winning the only way you can lose is if you don't do it mm-hmm. now then you really do lose you lose rewards yeah you lose your joy. You lose your purpose. The only way you can lose when it comes to soul winning is if you don't do it. And you it. contribute to the death of the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a huge you know, lesson that through a lot of trial and error and through a lot of messing it up and through a lot of fear and all the things you go through. Because uh, when I first started, I was just, I just walked out onto the street and you know, had my Bible mm-hmm. and there was no church and no t-shirts. And so I was just out there standing there, had no idea what I was doing. And I was scared out of my mind. I mean, I didn't even know the culture. I knew nothing. I was scared out of my mind. Yeah. And I did that for many years, mm. trying to figure it out. And, um, and I talk a little bit about how God really rescued me and showed me you know, how to do it. Uh, and, and I talk about that in the book. But that was a huge lesson that I learned uh, was that uh, my measure for success is obedience. So if you just ask someone, you make the attempt and be like, hey, you know, Alice, uh, let's grab some coffee. And uh, I'd love to open up the Bible and show you what it means to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise you. Starting today, if you just start asking people, it is only a matter of time before you're leading someone to Christ. Right. Because you will find someone who's interested. And that's one of our major rules. Uh, one of our major soul winning rules is that we are interested in those who are interested. Mm. So that's what I'm always doing. I'm always on the lookout for someone who's interested. That's the Holy Spirit's already working in them. And so I'm always on the lookout for someone who's interested. And uh, if they're not interested, hey, that's fine. Because all that means is now I get to move on to someone who is. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we spend so much time as Christians trying to convince people who are not interested. We really got to get over that. Yeah. And to that point, like, I'm curious what your thoughts are about the limitations that we set in general on on, uh, on evangelism. I think a lot of it has to do with 
the um, exhausting the pool or the pond in which we're fishing. Yeah. Uh, I think so many believers make excuses for their, their evangelism ministry because they've been fishing the same tiny pond mm-hmm. for, for 10 or 15 years and they've gotten no results. Uh, and they're not willing to get outside of that, that limitation and, and go find other fishing holes or, or jump in the lake or the river and expand, yeah. expand the amount of people that they encounter. And I think so much of this has to do with how vulnerable we will be with a larger audience of people. Something that happens, I think, in your, I think this happens in your 30s, is that um, you basically establish the world in which you want to live and then you never leave that world. Like never, you get, it's like a com, like there's a comfort. You, you've got your kids, you've got your job, you've you've you're making the money, you've got the retirement fund, mm-hmm. uh, you've got your church, you've got the pew that you sit in. Right. And then you you've basically insulated yourself, and you've ex, you've expanded as far as you're going to expand. Mm. And then from that moment on, you're not really interested in meeting more people. Right. Right. Like, I like I don't that. need any more friends. I got all the friends I want. Yeah, I you know? feel that. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's a danger of uh, just the age and stage of life that someone enters into. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about what it means to be intentional in breaking those uh, restrictions. Well, I think that if you are going to be a soul winner, then uh, I mean, one of the main things that we talk about in the book is that. Uh, you have got to find a way. I mean, it's it seems very intuitive, but like if I'm going to go fishing with my friend, then obviously we're gonna we're not going to sit in our living room. We're mm-hmm. we're going to go to a fishing hole. You yeah. know, we're going to go and we want to go where the fish are biting. Mm-hmm. And um, so, if you're going to be a soul winner, you you have got to find some way. Now, that's going to look different, no matter you know, yeah. regardless of where you live. Right. That's going to look different. Now, it's not going to look like it does in London. Mm-hmm. I found a high street. Oh, that's what you would call like Main Street. Yeah, and and it's all pedestrianized, mm-hmm. and so I uh, just a river of people. I just go stand in the river, and so and then I would uh, try to excuse me. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, I just try to start talking to people, and um, well, it, it, there's nothing sacrosanct about going on the street. It's good if that's yeah. what you need to do. For me, yeah. that's what I had to do because in London, nobody talks to each other. So I had to go find a way that I could be continuously sowing seeds into the hearts of lost people. Now, that's the challenge. Right. For If you want to be a soul winner, you've got to find some way that you can be not as a one-off. You need to find a way that you can be continuously sowing seeds and so that's what you're on the lookout for first. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can I do this? So, because if you want to lead people to Christ, this is going to, this is not, this is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you've got to find a way in your life that you can be continuously doing that. And so you can't really afford to be that sedentary. You can't, right. yeah. You can't be, you can't afford to be that locked in. Now, I can appreciate the desire to be that because to be honest, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert, and uh, a lot of people don't know that about me, but like, I would rather stay in my office and read all day. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife went out of town one time, and she left me at home, and uh, I mean, she didn't leave me. 
I'm not saying she left me. I'm saying she just temporarily. Yeah, I was there and she wasn't. And um, so she calls me like a day and a half later and she's like, "Uh, Brian, have you left the house? I'm like, no. Are you uh, eating? She's like, are the curtains open? No. (laughs) She's like, Brian, I want you to open the curtains and go outside. You know, you know, she has to tell me. You look like you haven't got a lot of sun. That's because there is no sun. Why do you think all those vampire movies happen in London, man? Because there's no sun over there. We're all, I mean, it's, a, it's an entire population that is vitamin D deficient. That's right? too bad. Yeah. We do not get a lot of sunlight. Which it contributes to but the thank kind you of, for noticing. The kind that, of, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that, that no one wants to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They need a little more sun. Yeah. But that's why I think I fit there because I don't want to talk to anyone either. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got... And I think this is really interesting. So what you're saying yeah. is that I think, I think the point that I'm gleaning from that is that there's degrees of confrontation, right? Mm-hmm. So if you live in a society or a culture where the people in the community are a little um, cordoned off uh, relationally, yeah. then you have, to, you have to interject yourself into their life in a way that's probably a little bit more firm and a little more confrontational than what they're used to. You have to break the mold. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us live in communities, especially if you live in the Midwest, where, where people um, are, you know, want to know their neighbor and they like yeah. chatting, they like small talk. Yeah. And so maybe the confrontation is a little less aggressive on paper, but there does need to be a form of confrontation. You, mm-hmm. you can't indulge lifelong relationship with people uh, for the sake of relationship alone. There has right. to, at some point, there has to be a willingness to speak up and say, hey, here's the deal. This is the answer to life. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, just take a look at how many lifelong friends that Jesus had mm. that were not in his circle. Mm-hmm. I think that's zero. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not saying it's bad to have lifelong friends. I've got some great friends that are lost, but I'm, I'm saying, but that's not the goal. Right. And, uh, and you're right. Like my daughter, Madison, she's a fantastic soul winner. It was, it was heartbreaking when she went to, to university, she goes to university in Wales and, um, she's the best soul winner our church has. Wow. Myself included. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's like, she's a, she's a fantastic soul winner. Uh, it doesn't matter where she goes, man. Uh, she just falls backwards into a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in Newark flying here and it's like 10 o'clock and these people, God bless them, the people of Newark, he needs to bless them. Okay. <laughs> because it was, it was bad and n- no one knew what was going on. Uh, and I'm just sitting there and my wife is looking at me like you have done this to me. Right. It's because of you that my life has brought me to Newark. Right. And so we're like all frustrated. The kids are all tired. And I look over and Madison is like, uh, you know, what what are the things called? The terminals? Like not the terminal, the gates. She's like she's like three gates over and like in a crowd of people that are waiting on their plane. And she's sitting talking to some lady. Hmm. And I'm like. I'm such a loser, yeah. you know, I mean, this girl knows what she's doing yeah, yeah. and uh, she will find a way to start talking to someone. And when they were younger, I proposed to them, what would you guys think about homeschooling? Um, because, you know, uh, the educational system there is top notch, but there's also a lot of things that they teach. And, and I just said, what would you guys think about that? And Madison was like, no, she's like, uh, she's like, that's, that's my mission field. Mm-hmm. I mean, how am I going to be able to share the gospel with lost people if I'm not around them all the time? But you see, the mindset drives where she ends up. 
because that's what she's she's on the lookout for that. Mm. So she ends up in conversations with people. But if we if we don't have that mindset, if we're not looking for that to be a soul winner, yeah, and you can do that. My son Stefan, he went and joined a jujitsu club. Yeah, you know, you you can put yourself into uh, areas where there's people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but th- it's because they're thinking, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Now he also loves jujitsu. Right. Um, so he's not just making up something, but. He, they will find themselves in crowds of people. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be a soul winner, I promise you, you will find yourself uh, in crowds of people. You'll find yourself among people. And so that's really, as we start to learn these lessons, I tried to do my best to put this down into, you know, the subtitle is hopefully going to be uh, the complete soul winner's guide. Mm. Uh, tried to put these down on paper so that you can, you know, see, you know, w- what that means to have this lifestyle as a fisher of men, yeah, and uh, and what that looks like. Um, this other stuff that you, you you mentioned was that it's important to have a right disposition. What does that mean? What does it mean to have the right disposition of of an evangelist? Well, this is one of those things that we focus on. We have a whole section in the book. The book is divided into three sections, mm-hmm. and this is like the middle section. Okay. Um, because this is something that's never really talked about with regards to soul winning, is the way that we carry ourselves as soul winners. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that we kind of touched on this a little bit before, um, that we tend to carry ourselves as if... Uh, nobody's interested, uh, kind of everybody's against us, and uh, nobody really wants what we have to offer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that we forget who we are. Mm-hmm. I think that we forget what we have, and I think we forget who we serve. Yeah. And it, it really changes the way that we carry ourselves. And so a soul winner really should carry themselves like they have nothing to prove mm-hmm. to anybody. Right. Because we really don't. Let's take a moment right here to hear from Pastor Mike Renault of Living Faith Boston. Hi, I'm Mike Renault, pastor at Living Faith in Boston, Massachusetts. And if you're considering learning the Word of God, Living Faith Bible Institute would be a good place for you. The good thing about LFBI is that you're not just learning from an academic standpoint. You're learning from actual practitioners that do in fact know the book. These are pastors and men who are leading churches, doing the work themselves, since they can give you a firsthand real life knowledge of what it means to learn the Bible in that context. Some of you may have a call in your life for the pastorate uh, to be a missionary, to serve the Lord in other parts of the world. Living Faith Bible Institute can prepare you in a way that you can be equipped with the Word of God and given practical tools, being held accountable in your ministry right where you're at. If you're interested in learning more or you want to enroll in LFBI, go to lfbi.org. I always think that the Laodicean Christian mm-hmm. either carries themselves as a hedonist or they, they carry themselves as a martyr. Yeah. They like to walk around like patting themselves on the back secretly and just, yeah. you know, woe is me, dejected. Yeah. But really what you're suggesting is that the disposition of at least an active believer, someone mm-hmm. who's at least functioning Philadelphian, yeah. is going to 
have joy and confidence in the way that they approach the work of evangelism. It's true. And I think that, um, I think that Christians by and large, uh, are embarrassed. Mm-hmm. They're, they're embarrassed of Jesus. Yeah, it's too bad. They're embarrassed of their faith and, um, they're insecure. And I don't mean as a person, but they're insecure within their faith. Um, and, and there's just some major things that they've forgotten. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the reason why, I mean, people, I mean, we reek of desperation as Christians. Mm-hmm. We, we just appear desperate. And I don't know if you've ever tried to ask a chick out on a date, but when you reek of desperation, it is not attractive. No. No, it is not attractive. When you appear insecure and needy, mm-hmm. and it's just not attractive to anybody. Right. And I'm not talking about employing, you know, uh, you know, dark psychology to win people to Christ. <laughs> I'm just saying that we come across desperate yeah. and there's no reason for us to be. And so what we do in the book is we take a look at how Jesus interacts with people at some very specific examples and, um, and see the way that he carries himself. We look at how the apostles carried themselves. And obviously boldness is a huge part of their makeup you know, they have this boldness about them, like, I don't have anything to prove to you. Mm-hmm. But also that's coupled with, most importantly, with a meekness. This is a boldness, but it's not pride. It's not arrogance. That's the way boldness comes across a lot of times. It comes across as just being arrogant. It's mm-hmm. not that. It's a right. boldness that's right. mixed with meekness. Right. And, uh, and meekness is not weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, because if... For example, if you when you think of someone who's meek, you think of someone who is just timid, um, often maybe even a doormat, mm. and that's not what meekness is. No. Uh, because if you are meek, quote unquote, uh, because you're afraid to confront people, um, well, then that's not a virtue. There's no virtue in that. No. Uh, but if you have real power as a person, right? Like if you know. Uh, you know, that you know the answer and you know what you have, you know who you serve and uh, you know who you are as a believer and you have real power as a person and you know what you're worth, so to speak, in Christ. Uh, but then you take that and you use that as an opportunity to humble yourself and serve somebody. Now, that's where the virtue's at. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great power that has been brought under control in order to serve. Yeah. Now, that's real meekness. So yeah. when you couple that with boldness, uh, that is a powerful combination. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really the way that we see Christ and his apostles carrying themselves. And that's something that we've lost yeah. in, in the arena with us, with the world. Yeah. And, like when you see Christ, when that rich young ruler comes up to him and he's like, uh, you know, he, he literally runs to him. When you compare the gospels, he runs to him and kneels to him. Right. And, and he's like, good master, you know, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And, uh, and Jesus is like, uh, why are you, why are you calling me good? Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I don't understand why, why are you calling me good? Now the way he, reacts to him. I mean, he's bowed on a knee, asking him how to be saved. And the way he reacts to them is like, it's so shocking to me, 
right? I would love for someone on the high street to do that, right? <laughs> That'd be wonderful. And I almost imagine in my mind, one of the apostles being like, you know, I think he's just being polite, you know, and there, and he, but he's trying to explain to him, his first lesson to him is that uh, obviously it's not wrong to call someone good. The Bible calls people good all the time. Mm-hmm. Even talking about human beings calls them good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's trying to say that my goodness with who I am uh, does not fit within your definition of goodness. His first lesson is you don't really understand what it means to be good. Mm-hmm. And so he's immediately, because he loves him, I think as Luke says, when he looked upon him, he loved him and he, he begins to teach him. Mm. When he loves him, he talks very straight to him, you know, because what he sees in this guy, and this is what's so important as he's trying to interact with him, what he sees in, you know, it looks like he wants to be saved, but what he sees is this guy doesn't really understand. Yeah. And we know that that's true because after Christ explains it to him, he doesn't want it anymore. Right. So we understand he, he didn't understand what he was really asking. Now, if that would have been us in that interaction, we'd have that guy saved, baptized, and in the yeah. new members class by dinner, <laughs> right? I mean, that day he would have been in there. And then five years later, you know, he's sleeping with his secretary and we're like, man, what happened to that guy? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but he, under, he sees that this guy doesn't really understand. And so because he has this way about him, like he's not desperate for this guy to accept what he has to say. Yeah. We are so desperate for the, just to get a yes from somebody mm. that we will do anything to get that. And he's not. And because of that, he's actually able to help him better. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. where it's, this is not about being proud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You often hear, you know, the 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 sales term, close the deal mm-hmm. used. And I think we do this, it, we carry this over in every aspect. We'll be talking with a believer that's coming to our Bible study, and then we'll try to close the deal on discipleship. Yeah. And then we'll try to close the deal on, you know, them being in our ministry. Right. And we're constantly using the world's methods uh, in the church, which is why we're acting desperate. Because the two the two things aren't compatible. They're not at right? all. You this can't is not you sales. can't you can't you can't use sales tactics um, or that way of understanding. You know, th- there's no this isn't a commission based uh, proposition. It's 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 actually exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. Our disposition, right? Our philosophy, our disposition should be that what we have is not for sale. Mm-hmm. That should be more our disposition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Christ said, you, you don't cast your pearls before swine. Right. Uh, in other words, now this is the thing that's mind blowing, is he says, you need to realize what you have in the gospel. And even as a soul winner, he's saying, and you don't just give it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Now think about that. That's what Jesus teaches his disciples. You don't just give this to just anybody. And that is a remarkable thing to try to wrap your head around. Right that what we have is as costly as pearls. Now, when you throw pearls to swine, the, the point is, it's not necessarily trying to call people swine. Right. The point of that is that they don't see the value in that. To them, they're wanting food. They don't see the value in pearls, mm-hmm. right? And not only that, but whenever they see that it's of no value to them, then they turn on you, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you have someone that you're talking to, when they don't see the value in the gospel, then stop telling them it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think what you're describing makes me think of, of Acts chapter three with Peter and John, you know, with a certain man, silver and gold have I none. Right. You know, it's like what we have to offer is something very specific. 
Mm-hmm. And if that's not what you want, then then that we're not we're not in the business of of just doling out um, feel good religion. You right. Know, we're, we're here for a purpose, and and either you want that or you or you don't. And I think that's really important is to understand what we have. What we have is very very precious. It's very precious, and we have to be uh, aware that if it's if it's um, executed with cheapness, mm-hmm. then um, we are not doing that person any justice, and we're certainly not doing the gospel any justice. Yeah, we're yeah. not really representing it the way that it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I disciple someone, the very first place I take them is Acts chapter 4, and I show them the apostles when they're on trial, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're standing there with the impotent man that they just healed. Yeah. And um, I, I love that. It's such an amazing it, passage. It is such yeah. an amazing it's passage. It's a cost of discipleship passage. Absolutely. Really. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of the passages we use in the book, one of the key passages that really demonstrates the boldness. Because here they are, because even the makeup of that Sanhedrin council would have been in a circle. Mm-hmm. So they're literally surrounded by these judges. Yeah. And, um, and so they're there, you know, and you can just see it. You can literally, as you're reading it, you can smell it coming off of Peter. And John as well, because they even said they could see in them both. And it was remarkable that whenever they showed this boldness, it even says in the passage, Mm -hmm. when they saw their boldness, it says that they recognized something in them. The actual language it uses means that they had seen this before. Yeah. This is a character quality that we've seen once. Yeah. And they said, and they realized they had been with Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, they've got this man next to him whose life has just been changed as a result. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they could, they could say nothing to them. And uh, so what I always teach my disciples as kind of an intro is I tell them, I say, now, first of all, have you been with Jesus? That's question mm-hmm. number one. Question number two, can anyone tell that you've been with Jesus? Mm-hmm. And then question number three, are you an active soul winner? Because you've been with Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously we can't heal people, but we can go out soul winning. That's the apples to apples for us in that passage, right? right? Uh, are you actually soul winning because you've been with Jesus? Mm. Now, if the answer to those questions is yes, then you have nothing to prove to anybody. Because if you think about it, as you compare that passage to our lives, we are surrounded by people who are judging us all the time. Mm-hmm. And we as individuals, especially as Christians, we are constantly waiting for the verdict of how they're going to feel about us, what kind of judgment they're going to pass down as to whether they accept us or don't accept us. And we're surrounded by that all the time. And I tell them, I say, now, if the answer to those questions is yes, then you have nothing to prove to anyone. No. If the answer to those questions is no, then you have nothing to say to anyone. Mm. But that's where it starts. You, this kind of boldness comes because you've spent time with Jesus. And as a, re, as a result, it becomes reflected off yeah. of you. Yeah, you're not fishing for the acceptance of men. You're Absolutely just simply not. trying to obey your friend and Savior. And you can run that all the way through to Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see the exact same yeah. thing. I'm not here to please men. Yeah. I'm here to, to, to please God. And so they have this kind of boldness where... And so what they end up doing in that court is actually flip it around. Yeah. And Peter's like, actually, you guys are the ones who are on trial. Right. You guys are the ones who are in danger of judgment because of who you have crucified. And he turns that around on them. And he, later he even says, man, I mean, 
well, you guys tell me, should I obey God or should I obey you? Mm-hmm. You know? And um, now this whole attitude that Peter has, that John has, even though John doesn't say anything, which tells you that it's nonverbal, because it says they see it in both Peter and John. And that's the way that we should carry ourselves. Uh, I was walking down the street, uh, my Bible, my tracks, all that mm-hmm. stuff. and um, Looking cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's this man. He was a Persian man. Mm-hmm. He's standing over on the side. And he was like, hey, you know. And I have my T-shirt on. And, and uh, he says, uh, if I asked you to give me some evidence for God's existence, what would you tell me? And I just looked at him. I said, I wouldn't tell you anything. I said, why, why would I waste my time convincing you of something you already know is true? And he, he just put his head down. And then I just kept walking because I don't have to, anything to prove. Yeah. And, and I already know the Bible says in Romans chapter one that they, he already knows. Yeah. He, not only does he know. He asks because he knows. He, he knows. Fact. Yeah. And he what, knows I know. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. 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 It, so I, I'm not, I'm not trying right. to prove anything to anybody. Yeah. yeah. And that carries over into my personal relationships so we have to let go of that desperation. Mm-hmm. Uh, take, for example, the time that Christ is with the Canaanite woman. That she comes up, she's crying, you know, for her daughter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the first thing that uh, Jesus says to her is he tells her to, to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, this woman is crying because she wants help with her daughter. Yeah. You know? And Jesus, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. He doesn't tell her to go away. The first thing he does is he just doesn't answer her at all. Uh-huh. He ignores her, right? And she's desperate. Please help me. Please help me. He completely ignores her. Even the disciples are like, you know, should we send her away? Because she's like annoying us. The disciples just right. didn't, didn't get it, you know? And uh, so she finally gets through to him. And he says to her, why should I take the bread that is for the tribe of Israel and, and give it to mm-hmm. dogs. And you're like, what? Yeah. What, what did you just say to this woman? And he says, why would I do that? Now he's asking her on purpose. And she says to him, now this is where the whole thing changes. Cause she says to him, she's like, I agree with you. I agree with you. She says, yeah, that's true. She says, but even the dogs get the crumbs mm-hmm. from the master's table. Now, it, when she says that, Jesus completely changes. And he says, mm-hmm. yeah, he says, now, he says, See, now you get it. Yeah. Now you get it. And he says, now, what, what you wanted, obviously, you have what you wanted because of your faith. Mm-hmm. And Jesus changes, gives her what it, she, she needs. Right. But what is he doing? He, he's trying to, to not only see if she's really interested in the truth, but also he's trying to help her understand what this is really about. Yeah. yeah. He, he's not looking for the quick yes here. He's not looking for the sale. He's not looking for someone just to agree with him or to validate him. He is trying to make sure that these people actually understand the truth about the gospel and yeah. what it is that he's trying to, to teach. And all of that was a test mm. to see where her heart really was. Yeah. And we are so desperate not necessarily for people to like Jesus, but for them to like us, mm-hmm. that 
we're willing to let them slide on all of that if they will just accept us. Mm-hmm. And that is completely the wrong yeah. disposition as a soul winner. Yeah, I always think about I always think about Samuel and when the nation of Israel rejects um, the judges and they want a king. And Samuel takes that as a rejection of him. Mm-hmm. And God's like, it's not, it's not true. It's not about you. But yeah. when we do this thing where we associate our ego right. with the character and personage of Christ. So we do this in our evangelism too. We're actually not afraid of them rejecting Jesus. Right. That's, Absolutely. Not, that's, not, there, there's, that's not where the desperation lies. Right. We are desperate to be accepted as Christians and if they receive Christ, then I then I am validated in my beliefs, and and I'm, I've protected my my ego. Um, it's this kind of half-hearted work. I mean, it, it, we might be evangelizing, but we're doing it in a half-hearted, faithless way. Yeah, and we need to let go of all of those trappings. Right, it and just say, about us. yeah, it, Jesus is is good to us. He's right. our friend. Everyone should know him. Yeah. And if it's that simple, well, then it'll produce a disposition of boldness and meekness. Yeah. But yeah. we're so, we're just, we live in a constant state of being so infatuated with the world mm-hmm. that, well, just like the Hebrews class teaches that Jesus is better. Mm-hmm. Jesus is better than what you left in the world. And um, we just don't believe that. Mm. We think the world is so much better. We are we are so in love with them. Yeah, We want to be like them so bad and we want them to like us so bad. You know, I talked to many pastors that are, as they're f- formulating their strategies and stuff, and they're like, man, we just want them to understand, you know, that we're just normal people that can have fun. And I'm like, why do you care if they think that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, why? I mean, we obviously you are normal people that can have fun, but that's not the issue. I mean, who cares? Yeah. But you are so desperate for them to accept you that you're willing to sacrifice so much just to for them to give you the nod. And guess what? We are never going to get across the board validation from the world. Yeah. It's no. never going to happen. I heard a pastor say once um, that... The, the, we're just like any lost person. We're just like any lost person, except for we have the Spirit of God in us. And it was a way for him to downplay mm. difference. And in my mind, I'm like, that's, but that's everything. That's, that's everything. the difference between saying they're human and I'm an alien from another planet. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're, we're exactly the same, except for the fact they're human beings and I'm, I'm, I'm alien from another planetary system. Like, right. like that's how different... It That's is right. to have the spirit of God in you. And so we should need to stop appeasing the world. And, and if there is any desperation, it should be an urgency because the king's coming. Yeah. Well, when you, when you mix that, mm-hmm. when you mix that kind of boldness with an authentic meekness, um, well, then in that, with that, when you carry yourself, like you have nothing to prove mm-hmm. to anybody. And you have this meekness that wants to take all of this power that's in Christ and who you are and use that as an opportunity to serve somebody. It becomes so much easier at that point to ask someone, mm-hmm. you know, and to say, you know, I, I, when I ask people, I always say two words. I always say, I want to open up the Bible and I want to show you how to follow Jesus. I always say Bible and Jesus, because those are two words yeah. that usually shut the conversation down. Those are the two words that no one wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried to open up your Bible 
uh, with your lost friend. You're like, let me just show you this verse. And I've had so many people just try to keep me from opening up the Bible in their presence. What I've noticed is they, they look around yeah. like they're waiting on something to show up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like look over their shoulder and they're like, they're oh, like he's doing There's this. something else I've is got it, to do, right? Is anyone watching this happening? You know? Right. And so I say those things on purpose. Yeah. And, um, because I, I throw up obstacles because I'm trying to see if they're interested. Because if they'll say yes, then I know that they're probably going to show up. And also, I want to make sure that they know exactly what they're in for. Sure. And um, so it becomes so much easier mm-hmm. to ask somebody because uh, you're not desperate. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have to prove anything. And so you ask someone, hey, would you like to go sit down and... Right. Now, tell, t- t- I'd like to hear more about the approach. Tell us about the approach part of, of, so it's, you know, we've got a right philosophy and we've got a right disposition, mm. but what about the approach? What is it about the approach that we need to know? Yeah, the, that leads you right into this approach, the just mm-hmm. ask part, which is the last section. Because uh, once you have your philosophy right, and that goes through a series of things of like the right why, like why you're doing it, uh, the right approach, and I mean the right uh, question to ask, and all this kind of thing. We, we go through a whole philosophy in the beginning, then we focus on the disposition, and then that leads you finally mm-hmm. to the approach. And people always want to jump to the approach, uh, but without understanding the philosophy and the disposition, uh, the approach is of not much use to you. Mm-hmm. It's only when you have the right mind and you have that disposition, then this approach will actually matter. Any, yeah. any approach right. will matter. But people always want to find, give me the script, tell me the technique, what are the three things I have to say? And it's like, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. But when you have those other things, then whatever approach you use will make a difference. And so then that leads nicely into this just ask uh, approach. And so what we do is obviously, and we don't really have time to talk about it now, but the first person you should talk to as a soul winner is to God. Mm-hmm. You, you should have a life of prayer. You can, you can start being a soul winner right now by just getting on your knees and praying. Mm-hmm. And uh, we cannot, as I think it was Ian Bounds that said, we, we cannot talk to men about God before we talk to God right. about mm-hmm. men. Yeah. And so we need to be bathed in prayer and we need to be praying for open doors. But one of the real problems with praying is, uh, is not just carnality, but passivity. Our prayers are passive prayers and we need to not be passive praying people. Mm-hmm. So you need to pray for open doors, but you need to plan for open doors. The, the way that you find open doors is by knocking on a lot of closed ones. Yeah. So, and the way you do that is by asking, yeah, right? But what do we do? We say, Lord, please give me some open doors to share the gospel. And then we get up, we go to work, we come home, we eat our dinner, we watch Netflix, and we go to bed. Mm-hmm. And we do the same thing every day, but yeah. we're not actually looking for any open doors. And you see the exact opposite with the Apostle Paul. It says that when he was on his way to preach in Troas, he came upon an open door. Mm-hmm. It was in the process of going to preach that he found open doors. Mm-hmm. That's how you find them. Yeah. You have to go out and be asking. And so after you're prayed up and you're actively looking for open doors by asking people, then that's where this approach comes in. So you'll ask their permission. You ask them, hey, can I sit down with you? And they say yes or no. Mm-hmm. And then the main thing is you share the gospel with them. And it is so important that you share the gospel and I wish, honestly, that we had an entire show just to talk about the S in the acronym, mm-hmm. because this is the part where we blow it 
big time. We finally get to the place and we talk about everything but right. the death, burial, and resurrection right. of Jesus Christ. And so there are really three parts that we have to cover when we share the gospel. One is the sinfulness of man, one is the salvation of God, and one is the Savior. And those are the three parts that we see in Timothy. Jesus Christ mm-hmm. came into the world to save sinners. And so we get three parts from that verse, really. And these are the three parts, no matter how you present it, just make sure that you cover that. You've got to cover sin. They've got to understand that they're a sinner. If they don't understand they're a sinner, they cannot get saved. Right. And then you have to explain salvation to them, and then you have to explain the Savior. Now, when you get to the cross, this is more of the technical part of the gospel where you're explaining how this salvation that he offers you is even possible right. through the cross. And then you explain all of that. And, uh, and one of the most important things within this is uh, bringing them to a decision, And I would encourage everyone who wants to be a soul winner, they must realize that once you're done explaining the cross, you're only halfway there. Hmm. You're only halfway there. We think that's the end. But in your presentation of the gospel, that's half. Like, for example, my wife took me mountain climbing one time in Wales. Hmm. Worst thing I've ever done in my life. Okay, (laughs) It was awful. I, I discourage anyone from ever doing that. Uh, it's the worst thing you can do in your life. And so we, we were climbing this mountain. When I was going up, it was wonderful. I'm like, man, I am so thankful you're my wife that you make me do these things because look at this. It's just so great. And we get to the top. We take the picture. And then I turn around and realize I'm only halfway home. Yeah, uh-huh. I have to climb down. It took us six hours to get to the top. I have to climb down now to get home. It was awful, right? That pivot moment when I realized (laughs) that I was only halfway. Now, that's what I want people to remember, that after they explain the resurrection and what Christ has done, that's that's the mountaintop, okay? You still have to walk them all the way home. Right. That's only halfway. Mm. This is where we blow it so many times. You have to then lead them to that decision. That's why we call our church Crossroads, because you're all the time leading them to a crossroads where they have to make a decision Mm -hmm. of what to do. So you have to really prepare to present that to them, you know, helping them to understand what that means and how they, and, Mm -hmm. you know, a sinner's prayer and all that stuff can be involved in that. So you, you share the gospel with them and we go through all of that in detail in the book. Right. Um, so you share the gospel with them, but then you have the letter K and this is the part that really changed my life was the letter K and that was keep the conversation going. And, uh, this changed the way that I share Jesus forever, no matter where I go, no matter who I talk to, all I'm doing is I'm thinking, how can I get this to the next conversation? Because honestly, when I meet someone on the street or if I meet someone in the supermarket or a family member, uh, it doesn't matter. When I ask them to follow Christ, the weight of that decision, that's like me asking them to marry me. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, for most people, that's going to require more than one conversation. For sure. Now, when I first started, I was so nervous and desperate that when someone finally let me talk to them, I would just throw Jesus up all mm-hmm. over them. And then they would leave. And I was just like so relieved it was over. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I never saw them again. Right. But I, when I realized, when I learned this piece, it really changed me. Mm-hmm. And it really helped me to slow down and relax in my gospel witness. Mm-hmm. So now when I'm talking to them, 
I'm not trying to have a conversation with them. I'm trying to have 10 conversations with them. Right. So like a a guy, a great example is this guy named Jamal. I met him on the street and uh, we had coffee and he was like, man, I love you, man. He didn't say, I love you, man. I say that all the time, but he he just said, you're a nice guy, Brian, but uh, I don't believe this stuff. I'm an atheist. And I said, okay, um, do you want to meet again? And he was like, okay. So we met again at Starbucks. I bought him a coffee and and he was like, man, you're a nice guy and everything, but I just don't believe in this stuff. And I was like, all right, well, do you want to meet again? And he's like, Okay. So like we got four coffees in before I even learned that he doesn't like coffee. Right? (laughs) I spent a ton of money on coffees. He doesn't drink coffee. And uh, we just kept meeting. And uh, eventually, you know, he told me he actually came to visit our church. And he told me later what happened. He was on a train platform. He says he's waiting on his train like all of us are doing constantly in London. And he said, I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, I it was like something came over me, and I realized that everything you had been telling me was exactly true. Yeah. And he texted me, and he said, I'm ready to submit and join Jesus. He didn't even know how to say it. <laughs> and he just texted me that. That'll work. Yeah. And I thought, it was an amazing. Now, we all we know that was God that did that. Yeah. You know, salvation is of the Lord. Right. But practically, the reason why that happened is because we kept the conversation going Mm -hmm. and we quit too easy. So I encourage people when you're witnessing to someone, keep meeting with them until they either get saved or tell you to get lost. Yeah. Just keep the conversation going. No, that's good. Yeah. And so try to figure out when you're talking to people, um, you know, stretch it out. Like say, like, how can I have 10 conversations with this person? Mm -hmm. Not just one. Yeah. And uh, okay, so the last thing I would say with regards to the approach is you're going to mess it up. If you're new to this, especially Um, when you're going, you're worried, you're going to go out there and you're going to be a soul winner. You're going to mess it up. For sure. You're going to say the wrong things. It's going to be horrible. But the same way you mess up everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because your flesh is in the way and you're an idiot. And that's like the yeah. best thing in the world, though. You've mm-hmm. got That's how you really learn the lessons that you can't read in the book, is, is by messing it up. Uh, we had this guy that came over. He was on a team. And uh, he was like just from a part of the U.S. that was very straight-laced, very conservative. He was a lovely guy, a little bit older than me, and uh, but very conservative, right? So when we go on the streets of London, we run into all sorts of characters. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's sharing the gospel with these guys on the street, and he's explaining to them how that no matter what you've done, you're not outside of, you know, God's reach. And this guy says to him, he says, uh, well, that's because you don't know what I did this weekend. And the guy's like, you know, what? And, he's, and then he proceeds to explain to him in graphic detail what he did that weekend. Yeah, his list of sins. And this guy, he looks at him and he says this. He sa- looks at him and he's like... Yeah, that's pretty bad. (laughs) I mean, when he told me that at dinner, I mean, we laughed. We laughed for an hour. I mean, and the guy, like, he's still stunned, and the guy starts walking off, and he's like, no, wait. You know, but it was, like, too late. And it was just the, I mean, you're going to blow it. Yeah. You're going to say the wrong things. You're not going to know how to do it. But uh, that's part of the deal. And 
you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. So yeah, yeah. my it, my encouragement to everyone is to go out and, and break some eggs. Yeah. Go out and make a mess of it mm-hmm. and, and, and figure it out as you go. And uh, But I, I my hope and my prayer is, is that uh, the lessons that have been hard learned through many years of trial and error will help equip people, uh, anybody, regardless mm-hmm. of who they are, uh, to be able to go out and be a soul winner today. And and I, the the last thing I would say about this is that uh, when you are a soul winner, as I've said before, uh, 100% success is guaranteed. Yeah. If, if you are going to be a biblical soul winner, 100% success is guaranteed, and this book will show you how yeah. to do that. That's great. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm excited about the book. Um, I'm hoping it, it it's available this this fall, fall of 2023. Yeah. Um, you're going to take it on tour with you. Yeah. And and share that with people. That's really my hope is as I go to say thank you, I want to show them like besides planting a church, these lessons that have been right. learned, you know, you know, I want to be able to share those yeah. as well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, we're we're thankful that you're here, that you're hanging out. Um, we're thankful for this content. We're thankful for your investment in us and, and, and how you're training us all. I mean, God's using you to train us all to be, to be more intentional in our evangelism. And so that's, that's a wonderful thing. We're grateful for you, man. Well, I, uh, I, you know how I feel about you, man. I, I love you to pieces and, um, man, I, I am, uh, I'm burdened by this. And uh, I know we have a great time and we'd love to laugh and stuff, but this stuff really burdens me mm-hmm. because uh, I really want to see people become soul winners. And statistics tell us that the vast majority of Christians out there will never share their faith with anybody. Mm. And the truth is, that the honest truth is, is that most Christians want to share their faith. Most Christians that I come in contact with, they want to share their faith, yeah. but they just don't know how. And um, so I hope that we can, yeah. in some small way, um, help to remedy that. Yeah. Well, but, thank uh, you for talking to us about it today. And, and we're going to really uh, promote the book. And, and, and hopefully we can see some people um, get on fire for this work in their lives. So thanks, Love you, Brian. man. Love you too, dude. Yeah. And we want to thank you for joining us uh, for this episode of The Postscript um, with Pastor Brian Clark. Uh, Keep him and his family in your prayers over the coming months because they're going to be uh, traveling a lot, but they're also going to be preparing to go plant another church in London. And um, that's, that's no easy task. And so, uh, you know, he didn't say it, but, but I'm going to say it. Um, He needs your prayer and he needs your support, your financial support. And so if you've got questions about how you can get behind them in that work, um, please reach out to LFBI and we'll make sure that you get uh, connected. But, but if, you have, if you have a burden for London and after hearing Brian, uh, you have a heart for, for his work and his family, uh, we want to connect you with him and in and, and that. Uh, but we also want to connect you to LFBI. And we want to connect you to the resources that are going to train you to be the minister that you need to be. We want to see uh, every member of every church a minister of the gospel. And so that might require you learning the word of God better. That might require you uh, growing uh, 
uh, more closely in your understanding to the Bible and what it teaches, what it says, knowing the character of God. So come join us in Living Faith Bible Institute and learn how to study the Bible for yourself and, and be empowered to have relationship with the Lord that will fuel every aspect of your life. So if you visit LFBI.org, you can learn about our statement of faith, our program of study, uh, $40 a credit hour. We try to keep it really cheap because we want people to get access to this content and we want to come alongside you and your local church as you grow in your discipleship. But we love you and we're grateful for the time that you've spent with us today uh, talking about evangelism. Go share the gospel with someone today uh, and do it with boldness, without fear, uh, knowing that the Lord loves to see you uh, be a soul winner. And so we love you. And we'll see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.